St Paul's at Christmas, is there any better place to enjoy the festive season? In 1924, you may have been forgiven for answering, perhaps. Alarmingly, on Christmas Eve of that year, the cathedral was served with a dangerous structures notice, amid fears the dome might collapse. After years of growing concerns, there was genuine apprehension regarding the building's safety. As they worked to save the building, leading architectural and engineering experts applied themselves to understanding and overcoming the many structural problems. The cathedral's staff and clergy, meanwhile, worked hard to keep St. Paul's open for worship and to raise the large sums of money needed for what became known as the Great Restoration. But how did it reach such an alarming stage in the first place? Today, the grandeur of St. Paul's appears the result of a perfectly imagined and executed plan. In fact, it was designed in stages as it was being constructed. Some challenges were overcome during construction, while others remained problems for future generations. The biggest issue for Sir Christopher Wren and his colleagues was how the great weight of the dome, over 44,000 tonnes, could be supported. Such a structure requires solid foundations and strong walls to transfer the load to the ground. Hundreds of drawings and models were made by the architect and his draftsmen as they wrestled with the task. Foundations were laid to a depth of between four and seven feet beneath the crypt floor, while mighty stone columns called piers were erected to support the dome. An iron belt was also used by Wren to stop it from bulging outward. Despite their best efforts, the cathedral sank towards the southwest as it was being built, and stonework beneath the dome cracked and splintered. Decisions made by Wren during construction would have serious implications for the long-term safety of the structure throughout the following centuries. By the 1920s, his design was described by Canon Alexander, a priest at St. Paul's, as a somewhat bold and hazardous experiment. The warning signs had certainly been evident for a number of years. In 1912, a proposal for the construction of an underground tramway close to the east end of St. Paul's led to a careful examination of the cathedral's structure. The tramway didn't go ahead, but a number of serious issues were discovered in the course of the associated study. The building had moved significantly and stonework had come loose. The following year, a large stone fell from the wall of the nave, smashing a chair below and exposing the immediate danger posed by unstable masonry. Emergency works began along with investigations conducted into the urgent repairs needed to the building. At the end of the first phase of works, a variety of opinions emerged as to the correct course of further action. The foundations were a particular point of contention, and the distinguished engineer Francis Fox pressed for these to be strengthened in an operation similar to the one he had conducted at Winchester Cathedral. The most extreme suggestion proposed was to take down the dome and its supports and start again 
an idea which certainly captured the imagination of the press. To establish a way forward, a commission was formed in 1921, which included structural engineers and architects. They concentrated on the condition of the masonry in the main piers and the settlement of the foundations. The risk of disaster was becoming increasingly apparent, and in the words of the Commission Chairman Sir Aston Webb, the cathedral was in danger of becoming dangerous. Despite all that was done between 1912 and 1924, the City of London served the Dangerous Structures Notice on the Dean and Chapter of the Cathedral on Christmas Eve 1924. It called for the eight piers supporting the dome to be taken down, marking a low point in relations between the cathedral and the city authorities. Canon Alexander replied on behalf of the cathedral that it was physically impossible for this requirement to be carried out. The demand made by the city's notice to remove and replace the piers was too expensive and too architecturally challenging. Nonetheless, it spurred the cathedral authorities to agree that the piers would, instead, be strengthened by the injection of cement, as well as repairing defective masonry and strengthening the dome with a metal chain. The work needed to rescue and preserve the cathedral was not only labour-intensive, but also very expensive. In 1925, it was estimated that between 120 and 140,000 pounds would be required to simply strengthen the piers, an amount the cathedral could not afford. To raise awareness of the situation, Canon Alexander made an urgent appeal to the public on the 8th of January via the Times newspaper, saying, The money must be raised quickly if St Paul's is to be saved from real danger. This is a matter that concerns every citizen of London, and indeed, the whole of the British Empire. The Times assisted with raising awareness of the cathedral's plight by donating £100,000, featuring articles in their newspaper, creating a poster campaign, and publishing a daily list of names of the individuals who had contributed to the fund. Support also came from the royal family, businesses, churches, and individuals to the point that by the end of March, over £250,000 had been raised, over £10 million in today's money. Due to the restoration work, it was necessary to close the dome and many other parts of the cathedral to visitors and worshippers. Measures were taken to ensure that the public were still able to visit the crypt, the Whispering Gallery and the upper portions of the cathedral. In order for regular worship to continue, it was decided to move the altar and the choir to the nave, and so from the 13th of March 1925, all services and events at the cathedral took place in this space. To protect the new worship area from the dust and noise of the restoration work, a large screen was erected at the east end of the nave, thus sealing this area off from the dome. The altar was placed in front of the screen, 
while the organ was dismantled and transferred to the North Nave Isle behind the monument to the Duke of Wellington. The choir were positioned in front of the altar, while the congregation were invited to sit in the west end of the nave and the adjoining St Dunstan's and St Michael and St George's chapels. Worship within the cathedral continued in this fashion until the 25th of June 1930, when a special service was held to celebrate the completion of the restoration work and the reopening of the building. This was attended by King George V, Queen Mary, the Prince of Wales and other members of the royal family, plus various statesmen including Prime Minister Ramsay MacDonald. The service featured a procession from the West Front to the Dome of the 220 men who had worked tirelessly on the Great Restoration. It was quite the turnaround from Christmas Eve 1924, when the future of St Paul's appeared somewhat uncertain, but thankfully, due to the vigorous efforts made over several years, any structural fears were eradicated. So this Christmas, as St Paul's once again opens its doors for an array of services and concerts, spare a thought for those who took part in the Great Restoration and made sure that for Christmas Day, or indeed any day, the cathedral is a safe and welcoming place for all. <laughs>